Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're glad you could join us. You'll find in the Old Testament a brief but pleasant story of a Moabite woman, a woman named Ruth. What we discover amidst the few pages of this woman's story is that decisions she made about everyday issues had an impact for generations to come. If you think your life choices are insignificant, think again. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for a look at Ruth's redemption. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand what you want to say to us today. Help us to hear your word. And Father, I pray that as we do that, you'll give us the confidence that you hear our words. Father, help, help us to examine your word, but Lord, more importantly, help your word right now to examine us. Father, we just want to open up our hearts, our minds, our lives to what you want to say through your word right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, the story of Ruth. What a beautiful story. We're actually going to do something that might seem strange to people as they read through their Bible. But we've just finished a series on the judges of Israel. And what we're going to now see is that somewhere in that period of the judges of Israel, probably three, four generations before the close of the book of Judges, this story takes place. So we're actually going back in time to a time when the judges ruled. And this is how it opens up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. So what we're going to see is that in this book, the book of Ruth, we're going to see really the story of redemption. This is the word that is going to, going to appear thematically. The theme of the book is redemption. And I want to show you what that means um, because to redeem means, in one sense, it means to rescue, it means to bring back, it means to salvage. It means to take that which was lost and find it. It means that which was destroyed and remake it, rebuild it. That's the picture that this word redeem conjures up. Redeem. The whole of the book of Ruth is the story of redemption. Now, when I say that, most of us are going to think it's the story of Ruth's redemption. And yes, that's true. And perhaps you've read it and you've thought, isn't this nice, what God did for Ruth? What I want to show you is that Ruth is just, a, just one of the characters in this story. That there's actually four, at least four people that are being redeemed because of the events that take place here. Now, as we look at this Old Testament story, we've got two problems before us. Firstly, we've got to try and figure out what happened. We've, we've also got to try and figure out, as part of that, what do we learn about God? Because I think that's a really important question when, whenever we look at anything in the Bible. What does, this, what does this tell us and what does this tell us about God? And this is all part of the one problem that we've got right from the get-go. The second challenge that we've got, when we answer those questions, what happened, 
And what does this tell us about God? Here's the second challenge we've got. What has this got to do with me? That's, that's what we call the application question. What has this got to do with me? Now, here's the problem with reading the Bible and assuming that everything in it applies to us because it doesn't. And I love to quote that just to mess with people's minds, that, that verse out of 2 Timothy uh, 4 or something like that, where, where, he, where he says to Timothy, and I, and I usually preface this by saying, who believes every verse in the Bible should be obeyed? And most people go, absolutely. And then I go, okay, what do you do with a verse like this? Timothy, when you come, bring my magazines, my cloak and my parchments. Who believes that verse should be obeyed? Who's going to obey that verse today? You can't. Why? Because it's not written to you. It's not applicable to you, you see. So what we have to do is figure out, well, you know, when the Bible says this, is it applicable to me? When we learn this about God, is it something that is applicable to me? For example, what God did in Moses, has, is there any other record of, of God doing that again? Is there another burning bush with someone in the scripture? No. When, when God dedicated the temple that Solomon built, I mean, who would have liked to have been to that opening ceremony? Might. There's this building built, not bigger than this, in fact, smaller than what we're currently in right now. And in the midst of that, the priests stood. This is a really interesting point. The priests were never allowed to sit while ministering. The congregation didn't sit, they stood, and it's, it, it's symbolic of unfinished business, that you can never finish worshipping God. Um, it's interesting that when the Bible says Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, what did he do? He sat down, finished. And so we have this, these pictures where at that opening ceremony of Solomon's temple, Solomon prays, you know, that 2 Chronicles 7.14 verse, which we, we, we love to quote and cite as if it is applicable to us today. And we need to answer that question, is it? And at that point, all of a sudden, the whole place just filled with smoke that wasn't smoke. And fire came down out of the, out of the ceiling. And it just, on the, where the altar was, where they had the animal sacrifice there, it just went... <laughs> Is that applicable to us? Do we go, oh, good. So if we have a building dedication, God's going to turn up, fill the room with smoke, and fire's going to come down and burn the pulpit. Is it, Really? Is that how we're reading our Bible? So you see what I'm saying? When we read this, we have to figure out, okay, what, what happened? Is this, is this normal? Does this normally happen when God steps into the scene and deals with people redemptively? Or is this something that just happened for Ruth? It's just an interesting story and it tells us something about God, but not necessarily something that is applicable to us. And I think we have to answer those questions. So here's some of the guiding principles for answering that second question. I mentioned before about the burning bush. Did that happen again? No. If we read stories in the Old Testament where something happens, when God, when God steps onto the stage of the Old Testament scene and something happens, and then it repeatedly happens, continually happens whenever God steps into the scene, then there's a pretty good clue that, that this is what God does for people in these circumstances. I'll give you an example. When th There's a number of significant women in the Bible, and, and in one respect I, I kind of would have preferred that this coincided with Mother's Day because this really would have 
gone down well on Mother's Day and I could have just earned some huge brownie points, but never mind. There's a number of women in the Bible who are described as being barren. And in almost every instance where the women are described as barren, have you noticed this? They, they go on to give birth to a child. You ever, anyone ever noticed that? number of very significant women. This woman was barren. Sarah was barren. Rachel was barren. These women were barren. Yet they went on to give birth to children. Why? Because something happened. Something happened where either they or their husbands came before God and pleaded to the God of fruitfulness, the God we worship, to give them a child. And God visited them, and they did. And so you could rightfully think that when you read that, that, that you know, um, what is it, Isaiah 54, Rejoice, O barren, more are, the children, more are your children than the children of the, the, the one who has had children. You could think, well, that means this. God can open the womb of a barren woman, and he is inclined to do that. He's inclined to do that. Does that mean that God will do that in every instance? No, it doesn't mean that. But at least it opens up the possibility, this is the kind of God we worship. This is what God can do. And I think that's important. So as we look at the book of Ruth, I just wanted to give you that as a bit of a, a, a background to this so that some of the young girls in this church don't get some really weird ideas about how you caught a man. Um, <clears throat> because we're going to see... <laughs> that this woman crept into the bedroom, essentially, of a man, um, peeled back his doona and lay at his feet. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I always thought you liked me. And <laughs> they ended up getting married. Um, uh, um, most guys who find women crawled up at the end of their bed under their doona at their feet usually do get that. I mean, even if you don't mean to convey it, girls, we, guys, we do tend to get, I think she likes me, type thought. Anyway... <laughs> But what we have to answer is, is this what God expects of young single women or older single women uh, to do to get a man? And I think the answer is going to be no. So let's, let's have a look at Ruth, the story of redemption. And I'm, I'm describing Ruth as the penultimate woman of God. Uh, penultimate is just one from ultimate. Who would be the ultimate woman of God in Scripture? Give me some suggestions, please. Mary, thank you. Who said that? Oh, the back there. I see that hand. Yes. <laughs> really, I mean, the Bible actually says that, you know, blessed and honoured above all women. So we, we kind of can't compete with that definition. So that's why Mary would be... Ruth would be penultimate. And, and I want to show you something that Ruth and Mary have in common. We'll come to that in just a moment. So this is the story of redemption. We just read verse 1, and we notice a couple of things here in verse 1. Firstly, uh, we, we've seen that it's the days of the judges. There was no leader in Israel. This was a time when God raised up seemingly randomly various men to deliver Israel and bring some form of leadership. So that's important. So, we, so that's one thing we notice about the time in which this is set. The second thing we notice is that there was a famine. There was a famine. Now, let's just ponder this for a moment because there was a famine in the land flowing with milk and honey. There was a famine in the promised land. 
there was a famine in Israel. I want you to notice that this this man that we're introduced to, and he, he only gets two verses really, his name is Elimelech. This is how he responds to a famine. And I guess this is the, the danger in how we read the Old Testament. So let me give you an example of what we might be able to do with the Old Testament without stepping over a line. We can look at this and go, well, okay, what principle for my life can I get out of this verse? Here's Elimelech. We're not told much about him, apart from who he married, who his sons were, and who his daughter-in-laws were. But we're also told this, when the famine came, he fled to Moab. Now, what might an application there be? It's, it's like this. God can bring you into a place of promise. And even though it's a place of promise, it might be tough for you. I've met some Christians who have just some really weird ideas about what the will of God looks like for their life. Some people have this concept that the will of God, as soon as you find the will of God, it's like getting into kind of that Finding Nemo turtle slipstream that takes you from Hawaii straight down to the Sydney Harbour. Get into the will of God. You all know what I'm talking about. Come on. Hey, dude. You know that turtle? Or maybe you don't. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Some people think the will of God's like that. That if I get into the will of God, oh, no more troubles, no more problems, no more challenges. This is now easy. And I've heard people teach that and preach that. They talk about it like this. You know, while you're out of the will of God, you are in a rowboat rowing hard. But the moment you find the will of God, you set sail and you just send the Holy Spirit just bite and you just sit back and it's all cruisy. And I go, you are a deal. Tell me, was the life of Jesus easy? Was he in the will of God? Come on. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. Paul, uh, through many hardships and trials, we must enter through and enter into the kingdom of God. So in other words, here's here's the thing. God can have you in a place where where it is his place for you. And it might be a time when it gets dry and hard. Famine. Is marriage... God's will for people's lives? Absolutely. Does that mean that your marriage is always going to be fertile and a blessing? A place of joy, a place where it's all, oh, thank you, God, every day for my marriage? No, it doesn't, does it? And all those who are married who are a little bit embarrassed to admit the truth of the situation did not put their hands up and go, amen. It can be really, really tough. But the thing you don't do is you don't run. Elimelech ran. And in the Bible uses this really weird word. It uses the words to make it sound religious. He says he went and sojourned in Moab. Now, what does sojourn mean? It means we're going for a wee little visit. How long was this wee little visit? Ten years Mate, that ain't a sojourn. We're just going to go on a camping trip (laughs) to Moab. (laughs) Just ride out the storm of this famine and go on a wee little camping trip to Moab and we'll be cruisy. Well, no. There was something in his head and in his heart that said, this is too hard, this is tough, I'm out of here, come on, let's go. Didn't seek the Lord, didn't ask God, didn't ask for counsel, just did it. 
Can I tell you that was a dumb thing to do? It's like Christians who God calls into a church and all of a sudden there's like for them a spiritual famine. And they go, well, that's it. I'm out here. I'm going to sojourn somewhere else until whatever. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Well, my marriage is getting tough. I'm just going to sojourn into another relationship until they get their act together. You deal. Elimelech made a mistake. He made a tough mistake, a really big one. Um, We're going to see, though, as I mentioned before, this is the story of redemption. God was able to redeem this mistake. He was able to redeem this situation. And this is the kind of God we worship, a God who can redeem situations. So let's have a look at Elimelech. So Elimelech, when he fled, it was a bad mistake. The mistake, as we see um, down, well, as you read the first five verses, we'll just cut to the chase. Verse five, where um, it's the end end of verse four, it says they lived there about 10 years. And then it says this in verse five, here's his two sons, Marlon and Chilion or Chilion died. So that, the, so that the woman, that is Naomi, was left without her two sons or without her husband. The result of Elimelech going to look for sustenance somewhere else was that he died for a lack of sustenance. He died. I find that ironic. He died. And his mistake not only cost him his life, it cost the lives of his two sons as well. Bad decision. Bad choice. Okay. So, Naomi. So, let's read verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, and it says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. All right, so she gets word that there actually was food back where she came from, and she decides that she will. So she then presents this to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, where we read on where she says, look, you, you, you girls, you don't have to hang out with me anymore. You go back to your villages and you stay there and, you know, remarry and settle down, have families, and I'm going back to Bethlehem. Orpah says, okay, bye, Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. And right there we're introduced to a woman who is different. And the story unfolds, and as it unfolds, we we begin to admire this woman, Ruth, more and more and more. Look what Ruth has just done, because we read this knowing the end from the beginning. We know how this story is going to pan out. She didn't. This is what she's saying. I'm prepared to give up the possibility of ever being married, of ever having children, of ever having material comfort, of ever being where I'm totally accepted. I'm prepared to give that up to follow you. Can I suggest to you that that's kind of what Christ wants of his followers as well? And Ruth demonstrates this New Testament commitment So Ruth, 
The story goes, comes back with Naomi to Bethlehem. Naomi is greeted by the women of the village. Welcome home. It's good to have you here. Good to see you. Naomi, which means pleasant. And she says, don't call me Naomi. I'm thinking I'm going to change my name to Mara, which means bitter and kind of let down big time. And they go, no, don't be silly, which is really good, which is a good principle of fellowship, by the way, when somebody's having a pity party, that you just kind of go, no, now stop that. You're being, no, that's how I would do it. Now, what, how should you do it? You should, <laughs> you, you can speak words of encouragement to them. And no, come on, it'll be okay. So they come back to Bethlehem and Ruth says, how old is Ruth now? Maybe she was 20 when she got married. They were 10 years in Moab, 30. Maybe it was a few years after that that Naomi thought, this is just not working, I'm going back home. Maybe another five. So maybe she's ballpark 35 years of age. Ruth says to Naomi, we got to eat. I'm going to go down to the barley fields and I'm going to glean, which means pick up the scraps. The, the, the leftover bits that the harvesters have left. I'm going to pick that up. And, and if you know the story, the story goes on that she goes down to do Now, that would have taken a great deal of humility to do that. She put herself in a, a position of vulnerability. How do we know that? Because eventually when the owner of the barley field comes over and says, who's this? And they say, oh, that, that's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. He says, okay, I don't want any man to touch her. And I think we know what that means. And the implication is that foreign women were fair game. He says, not that one. Don't touch that one. So she walked, she walked into a really, really difficult situation to do what she had to do. So here she is, working to support herself and her mother-in-law. And we find that God does something really, really curious here. And the story is found in Ruth chapter 2, where eventually Boaz, the owner of the barley field, comes up to her. Let's pick it up in verse 12. And this is what he says. And it's really interesting because he has, it says in the previous verse, he, he has heard about this woman. I've heard about you and I've heard about your care for Naomi. So in verse 12, this is what he pronounces over her. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now let's just, just ponder this for a minute. We can look at that and maybe our gaze as we read this is totally on Ruth. I looked at this and I thought, yeah, but what's going on in Boaz's life? What's going on with this guy? He's not 35. How old was Boaz? How old was he? The fact that Boaz could refer to Ruth uh, in verse 8. Look how he refers to Ruth in verse 8. Ruth chapter 2 verse 8. How old is this guy? Look what he says. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. How old is this guy? 50? Maybe? 
50-year-old guy, maybe, never married. What's he thinking? Will I ever be married? God, have you abandoned me? Will I ever be a father? Will I ever have an heir to what I own? God, please, maybe, maybe if we could sneak a peek at his prayer journal, that might be the sentiment. At least 50. I mean, you work it out. How old do you have to be to be the father of a 35-year-old woman? 50 is being generous. Probably up it a bit. This guy, life has slipped through his fingers a bit and he's like, well, I've been overlooked. And he pronounces this blessing in verse 12 to Ruth and at this point, I don't think he's thinking she's going to be my wife. I don't think he's thinking that. He's referred to her as his daughter. He's taken a fatherly sort of approach to her and here we go. But what Boaz doesn't know at this point is that God has heard his prayer, perhaps if he's been praying this way, and God's about to redeem him as well. God is about to redeem him through, the, through this girl, Ruth. So we've seen that God, we know from the overall story, God is going to redeem Ruth. God has been able to redeem Naomi, who was left abandoned, penniless, in poverty, and now Ruth is bringing home Heaps of barley, heaps of food. Now Ruth is being blessed. The situation's turning around for Naomi and the situation is about to turn around for Boaz. And this is where we come to chapter 3 where Naomi says, just prior to chapter 3, says to Ruth, hey, where are you getting all this food from? You know, you're coming home with wine and barley and bread and cakes and raisins. and Where's all this coming from? And she said, from the, just a guy I met down the road. His name is Boaz. And Naomi goes, Boaz? Did you say Boaz? Sweetie, sit down. Have I got some news for you? Under our law, he's what we call a kinsman redeemer. And Ruth, she's a Moabite. She's not a Hebrew girl. She, and she's like, and what does that mean? <laughs> that means he's obliged to marry you. And Ruth goes, oh, okay. What do I do? What do I do? So now we pick it up. Chapter 3, we've, we, we see this exchange and this is what she says. Verse 3, wash therefore. <laughs> uh, it's always good. Relationships, Bible's very practical. Just A lot of guys just need to underline that, just by the way. Just <laughs> wash. <laughs> And anoint yourself. That means um, for guys, aftershave. <laughs> uh, and for some, lots of it. And um, uh, for women, it's perfume. And not from a guy's perspective, please not too much. It's like, oh. Anyway. Um, uh, 
and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, we're not given any background clue in the Bible as to where on earth this custom came from. But man, it sure would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of hassle, a lot of chocolate, a lot of flowers, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's not our custom. So girls... (laughs) But there is actually a serious point to be made here. She, she, in one sense, got into bed with Boaz, in, in one sense. And there, are, there is a sense in which some Christian girls think that the only way they can win the heart of a guy is to get into bed with them. And that's just not true. Now, let's come back to Boaz. Well, just don't think too hard about it, but what would any bloke think if he woke up in the middle of the night and there's a woman under his doona at his feet? Just hold that thought for a moment and don't dwell too long on it because we're in church. Now, think about this. Boaz acted like a gentleman. He acted like a gentleman. There's a lesson for guys there. Boaz acted like a man who was faithful both to Ruth, whom he was yet to marry, because clearly there was some custom that said, you're my kinsman redeemer, I'm here to present myself to you, I'm under your cover, which is where we get that expression, undercover. She was literally, you know, he would have taken off his great big cloak and he would use that as the doona or the blanket and she's, peeled back the corner of his garment, put it over herself to say, I am under, you are obliged to take me under your wing, under your cover. In other words, you're obliged to redeem me and make me your wife. Now, he realised what was going on and didn't take advantage of the situation. Good on him. Good on him. What a bloke. And he, we, we know the story goes on that there was somebody who he said, yes, um, Naomi was only half right. I am your kinsman redeemer, but there actually is someone who is more closely related to your family who has a greater right to be the kinsman redeemer. We need to go and talk to him. By the way, he's about 87 years of age. How would Ruth have been praying? Oh, God. Please, let it be Boaz. (laughs) So uh, we find that Boaz goes to this guy and says, um, uh, you're obliged to redeem uh, Naomi and uh, uh, buy out, you know, what is hers. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And he says, oh, by the way, that also means you've got to marry Ruth. He's he's obviously a widower because he's already got sons. And he's thinking, well, hang on, I can't do that because I don't know that he was 87, by the way, but he would have been a lot older than Boaz because he was a closer relative, which means he was born before Boaz. Just think that through for a minute. So he 
says, Boaz says to this guy, you've got to marry Ruth. And he goes, uh, I'm not going to marry anyone at this stage of my life. And secondly, if I did and she had children, then my sons who've been hanging out for me to die, thinking they're going to get the family farm, might miss out and her kid might get the lot. And it's just not fair. Here, you redeem her. And then he does this. So Boaz does this really weird thing. It looks like, oh, I shouldn't have worn these socks. He does these really weird thing. I've got a hole. Yeah, got a hole in this sock. Anyway, takes off his sandal and he says to everybody, my sandal is off. I am redeeming this woman. Let it be known. Now, who the heck invented that custom? I've got no idea. But that's what they did. Sandal off. And everyone said, yes, your sandal's off. We recognise that your sandal is off. And... and now, let's come to the, the closing verse of Ruth. Actually, we'll, we'll come to... We'll, we better back up a bit. So we go to verse 13, chapter four, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. Let's just finish this up. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This situation led to more than Ruth being redeemed. Naomi was redeemed. Her miserable, hopeless situation was turned around. Boaz's situation was redeemed. His situation was turned around. God was in control all along. He was able to take a mistake that was made And perhaps you've made one or two. Perhaps you've committed a sin as well. Perhaps you've run when you should have stayed. Perhaps you've done something you shouldn't have done. Good news for you. God can redeem you. Perhaps you see that God was able to redeem the whole nation of Israel out of this episode because King David was born as a result of this. And here's the big one. So let's look at the implications here. Firstly, No matter how bleak your situation is right now, God can redeem it. He can redeem it. No matter what's been... Let's have a look at the next one because Naomi was just being what a wife should be, just someone who goes along with her husband in total quiet submission, never nagging, always complying, fully obedient to her husband. (laughs) Gee, that didn't go down well, did it? (laughs) But she was. she was. She was the woman who said to Elimelech, okay, if you want to go to Moab, we go to Moab. She could have been thinking, but you know, the Bible says God has planted us in the land. We should be staying in the land. Well, and she goes and she got a case of the, she could have got a case like my wife does of the I told you so's, but she looks like a godly woman, so I don't think she said that. So, <laughs> anyone tells that to Kim, look out. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So through no fault of her own, she's in a mess. Lost her husband, lost her sons, lost everything she owns. She's in a mess, but God redeemed her. Then we've got Ruth, who was going to leave. I mean, she was dark-skinned. She, wasn't, she didn't look like them. She didn't talk like them. She looked different, spoke different. She had a different sort of name to them. We think of Ruth. You know, you name your daughter Ruth, you think, oh, what a biblical name. It wasn't. It was a Moabite name. It was not an Israelite name. And she had to go through all of that, and God redeemed her. Isn't that great? And this was a time of Judges. And, we, and, and we've already seen how Judges finishes up. Four times, there was no king. Everyone just did what they wanted to do. No king, the land was in chaos. No king, there was no leadership, no vision. People just rampantly went into sin. And the final verse of Judges, Judges finishes up like this. There was no king in Israel. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And so here's God's solution. But notice when God's solution was already kicking into gear. Generations before that last verse of Judges was written. That is awesome. God has already started to redeem your future mistakes. Wow. Oh, that's good. Because I plan on making some doozies. (laughs) It's called life. (laughs) And God's already got things in play right now that are going to redeem the stupid mistakes that I'm about to make in the future. Glory to God. So the next time I make a mistake and it affects you, just be glad something happened a long time ago and God's going to work it out and make it right and you can still love me. And so we have this situation that, that God could be working in you right now to redeem your life from wherever you're at. And this is the final point. And it goes like this. that We've seen that even when you're the victim of other people's mistakes, God can, but here it is. God can redeem future generations. Through your, look at, look at the qualities of Ruth, through your humility, through your diligence, and through your faithfulness. Think about this. Through this one woman saying to Naomi back there on that dusty Moabite road, I'm coming. Through that one act of obedience, this is what happened. Jesus Christ was born. Read Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. There's only five women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the earthly lineage of Jesus Christ. And Ruth is mentioned by name. They're not all mentioned by name. She's mentioned by name. God not only took this immediate situation and redeemed it, He took this situation and redeemed it for us. There's your application. We are here because this woman said to Naomi, I'm coming too. And I think this is a great thought that the very minor minor decisions, major decisions, the everyday decisions we make can affect generations to come. Oh, God. Help us to be that kind of people. Let's pray. Father, we can take great comfort from your word that says you're able to redeem the past and give us a brighter future. God, we can take great comfort that although our world right now looks in some ways bleak and out of control, because you are a redeeming God, it will get better. 
because you're a God who's able to redeem. Now, Father, there might be people here who have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. They've never handed over their lives to him. I invite you right now. You are one prayer away from having your life redeemed. One prayer away. It goes something like this, just from your heart, where you just cry out to God, Oh, God, take my life. Forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me from it. Set me free from it because Jesus has a claim on my life. Oh, Jesus, come and take up that claim on my life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. With that one prayer from your heart, asking God to redeem you, you are just one prayer away from a brand new life. And I pray that you'll pray that prayer in Jesus' name. As he did for and through Ruth, God can redeem future generations through your humility, diligence and faithfulness. If you'd like to listen again to the program, you can purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just quote the program title, Ruth's Redemption. Finding Truth Matters is produced by Lagana Media and you can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Finding Truth Matters resources, including podcasts, are also available from the website www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We hope you can join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.